So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1348, Katie Gaddy, host of the podcast Money with Katie. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So I think what grounds me is fear, if I'm being honest. Like it is truly that neuroticism and that kind of like fear of insecurity, if you will. Kind of like we were mentioning before with like the Nordic theory of everything. Here in the United States, uh, you're one major medical emergency away from potentially bankrupting yourself. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Charabi, back from vacation. Traveled on a plane for the first time with my kids since January of 2020. Let me tell you, we didn't know what we were doing at first, but the airplane ferries were with us the entire time. We boarded on time. Our flight took off on time. The flight was smooth. We didn't have a lot of traffic on the road to and from the airports. Like, what was going on? This is spring break, y'all. I do think people are traveling. Our flights were full, but never felt overwhelming, which maybe it was always like this, <laughs> but I was just so excited and uh, let things slide. I don't know, uh, but really good to be back. Thank you for your patience. We aired some incredible reruns last week, some of my favorite episodes of 2022, but we are back with a fresh episode and quite an episode. Let me tell you, I've got one of the freshest voices, newest voices in personal finance here with us on So Money. Maybe you already know who I'm talking talking about. I'm a big fan. Her name is Katie Gaddy, and she's the host of the Money with Katie show in partnership with Morning Brew. You may have seen her on Instagram. Her podcast is wildly successful. She has a newsletter as well. Katie started writing about money in 2020 after a few years of independent personal finance consulting, consuming all the personal finance content she could get her hands on. Since then, her community has grown to over 100,000 strong, and she focuses on teaching hashtag rich girls how to make their money work for them. She and I are going to talk about what helped her arrive at this place of giving expert financial advice, how she and her husband spend just 16% of their take-home pay, and they have a nice lifestyle. So how is she engineering her finances to, get this, become work optional, not by 50, not by 40, but in just a few years when she hits 30 years old. She admits she takes things to a little bit of an extreme, but I think there's still a lot we can learn. She also talks about one of my favorite topics, fear, and how it helps her make healthy money choices. It's just a fun show. You'll like this. Here's Katie Gaddy on So Money. Katie Gaddy, Money with Katie. Welcome to So Money with Farnoosh. This is so fun. Oh, thank you so much, Farnoosh. That was, I think, the most exciting intro I've ever gotten. I have never been so excited, I have to say, <laughs> um, to interview somebody. You're, you've are you been like foreshadowing this on your social media. Um, I've been, so you've been building it up for me. And uh, I'm, I've just been a fan of yours ever since you launched your podcast, which we're going to talk about Money with Aww, Katie. Thank you. Likewise. 
Yeah. So, well, before we dive into all the cool uh, stuff you've got going on and all the different ways that you are educating women and men about money, Katie, tell me, how did you ever arrive at this world of giving advice about money? And we, <laughs> like, really, because people like, how you know, when they ask me like, Farnish, what made you want to become yeah. financial experts? Like, it was the dream, let me tell you. It just kind of, it made sense, you yeah. know, for me, but I didn't know that until like I got to my 20s. So what was that journey like for you? Well, it sounds very similar, actually, because um, I, I well, I always joke that it was greed. I'm like, I like realized that I didn't have any money, and I was like, well, I would like to have some money, but I think what it really, how it really started was realizing that I was so dependent on my paycheck and on my employer. And after I started working full time, I remember it was like very distinctly. There was this one Tuesday morning. It was really early. I was going in early. I'm like teetering on these heels and I have a purse in one hand and the lunchbox in the other. And just having this kind of realization that like, oh my God, I have to do this for the next 40 years. Like I've been doing this for what, six months now. I mean, it was very early on in my career. And it's like, I'm giving this place the best hours of my day during the best days of my week, during the best years of my life and have been for six months. And I really don't have anything to show for it when I think about like the amount of money I have in the bank and kind of just felt like I was treading water, like not really getting ahead, just like using the money that was coming in to pay for the car that I was driving to work so that I could work for the paycheck. That It was just, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow. Okay. So I initially was a little bit overwhelmed, but I also think I was maybe too naive even at the time to know what I was getting myself into, like maybe too naive to even be intimidated by it. Uh, so I started really looking into it and getting really curious and realized, oh my gosh, there's so much financial information out there that's free and so much guidance that's public. And as I started to implement some of this stuff, I realized like, man, this is like life changing. And I kind of just felt this compulsion to like, I have to share this information with people. Like, I know my friends aren't talking about it. I know that they don't know any of this. And so it kind of became my goal to share everything that I had learned with other young women like me that probably were feeling similar things, but didn't necessarily know where to go with those feelings. And mm -hmm. so I made it my goal early on. I want to make this fun and relatable, not just because it's better for them, but because it makes it more fun for me. Like, I don't want to, you know, communicate information in a way that's super dry and boring because that's not fun for me either. So I think it's very uh, mutually beneficial in that way. When you look at how personal finance is being shared online and the nature of the advice, what's your biggest mm -hmm. pet peeve? Because I know that, you know, you have very strong opinions, um, <laughs> which is good. I I think it's important, right? You don't want to. Yeah, that's how you, I think, appeal to people is when you're willing to kind of share your thoughts on things as opposed to muting yourself or censoring yourself, which I think I find mm -hmm. some people do in this space because they're afraid of oh, yeah. turning people away. And obviously, I think it's safe to say we're all anti like, you know, penny pinching and not mm -hmm. buying the latte and yeah. shaming. But what yeah. else do you find that you want to kind of do differently that you're not really it's not really your jam? That's such a good question. And I think my answer to this has changed over time. I think what I would have told you a year and a half ago is probably different than my pet peeve now. But uh Right now, I think the thing that gets under my skin that I've really worked on honing a distinct perspective around is this idea that 
it's always 100% up to that person consuming your content, how they go and act on it. So what I mean by that is there is such an extreme emphasis placed on personal responsibility to the detriment of the systemic issues that are in place, policy, you know, potential improvements that we could see. And I think it didn't really dawn on me that that was the case until recently I was reading and learning more about the Nordic theory of society and like how to structure society and the social safety nets that actually make capitalism work better and make people more motivated to work and actually lower unemployment rates. I think what gets under my skin is the type of commentary that kind of assumes, and it does kind of fall into that shamey category, but kind of assumes that if you're not doing well financially, well, you must just be lazy. And if you just get up earlier, and if you would just try harder, and if you would just... And that type of stuff, I don't find it, A, it's not helpful, but I also think it ignores so many other factors that influence why and how people find themselves in the type of financial situations they find themselves in. And, you know, it's funny because I do think that awareness of some of these topics really does go so far. And oftentimes when someone's not maybe making the best decisions, usually it's not because they're trying to self-sabotage or they're stupid or they're lazy. It's usually just because they don't really know any better. And so I think information goes such a long way. It's so much easier to make better decisions when you know what the right decisions are. Yes. I mean, the reality is this, that we're sometimes we are just set up to fail and we mm-hmm. have to fight that and, and some more than others. And yeah, Kardashian got in a little bit of heat yeah. the, other, uh, the other week for, for saying something. What was it like? If you just would get off your butt and not be so lazy. And, yeah. And Although I, I will say I'm a big, I'm a big Kris Jenner fan. Like, I think that woman is a genius. <laughs> and I, I, have I, I always get heat I think for about it. What like, would Kris Jenner do? Yeah. yeah she, she's so she's, entrepreneurial. So committed. That yeah. Moment. Just it's the commitment for me. It's the commitment. <laughs> like, totally. And you can say, I mean, like you could definitely point out some areas where, you know, it's maybe a little bit questionable, but I'm like, mm, there have been a lot of reality TV stars. And I think they're the only ones that have turned it into like a multi-billion dollar empire. Yeah. So I'm like, there's probably some lessons. That and like, no I like overhead. there's no, they're yeah. just her daughters. <laughs> That's it. That 10% cut, baby. <laughs> She just had to go, she had to birth them and then the rest, you know, was going to follow um, that business model. Oh my gosh. Well, speaking of business oh, model, um, let's talk about your partnership with, well, your podcast, the yeah. Katie show and the partnership that you have with Morning Brew. Yeah. So super exciting uh, change that happened earlier this year about 18 months into me running Money with Katie is just an independent brand. And really what happened was Austin Reef, the CEO of Morning Brew, who I kind of obliquely knew from like former Twitter interactions and just, you know, how the internet is. But, you know, we kind of knew of each other and he had reached out and we had a really funny conversation where he's like, yeah, we're trying to expand. We want to like talk about personal finance more. So I'm thinking like he's going to you know, ask for some advice or ask me if I have any like interesting learnings to share, just like a networking thing. And he's like, all right, well, we want you to come do that for us as money with Katie. So it's really, we called it like an aqua hire because they're acquiring the money with Katie brand, but like hiring me as the employee to run it. And, um, it's been, 
kind of beyond my wildest dreams yeah. so far, which has been really cool after, you know, building money with Katie on my own on the side and working full time in a completely unrelated field. I worked in user experience and like software development. So completely different from finance and lots of context switching, you know, throughout the day and just in life in general. So it's been really, really exciting to get to, uh, focus on this full time, have other people that are focusing on it and actually have that support and get to learn from people in the media industry that really know what they're doing. Cause I was totally, I always joke that I like intuited my way through everything. I didn't really know what I was doing most of the time. So it's been pretty amazing to see how the growth curve has just shot up after getting that type of mentorship and attention from people in media who who know what they're doing. Yeah, it's great. It's sort of how I feel like my partnership with CNET has been where they oh, yeah. um, you know, licensed the podcast. I've gone in-house to help run their um, money vertical. And so it's, cool. been, it's, it's encouraging. I think it's a great anecdote for people who are wondering if they should start a podcast or a blog mm-hmm. or YouTube, like what then, you know, and, and this, this is an example of like you could end up partnering with a bigger entity and mm-hmm. the rest is history. I was listening to your latest podcast where you were talking about most people will end up mostly okay. You got to share this with the audience. I thought this was really different and uh, counter to what we often understand retirement to be, which Mm -hmm. is that we're going to, it's going to, we're going to drop off into retirement, living in our car and not having enough. And yeah, um, tell me what you meant by this thesis of yours, which is most people will end up mostly okay. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the, the background, kind of inspiration for the episode came from this former manager that I had who had reached out and she wanted to look at her numbers. And it was fascinating because she had been burned during the recession of 2008. She had money in the stock market. And I I kind of deduced, she didn't tell me this, but I kind of deduced that at that time they had actually, you know, cashed out and basically pulled out when they were at a loss. And obviously that's a very normal, natural reaction when your net worth is cratering to be like, I just got to stop the bleeding and pull everything out. So I was a little bit nervous to run her numbers with her because I was like, man, if she's just missed out on the last bull market of the last 10 years, like this might not be a really pretty outcome for her. And I'm kind of nervous that I might be the bearer of bad news that she's going to be working for a while. Nope. (laughs) She had a great income and, you know, they weren't spending frivolous, frivolously. They were living, you know, within their means, beneath their means. And uh, yeah, she was going to be work optional in like 10, 15 years. I was like, oh, okay, so you're going to be just fine. And then I had a similar situation happen with another friend of mine that was in her early 30s and kind of similarly didn't really save money in her 20s at all and isn't making a ton of money now, but a decent income, like a very average salary, but has a really good save rate. She's saving like 30%. And uh, same situation, work optional 20 years. And I was like, oh my God, maybe, just maybe all this extreme rhetoric that I've been leaning into in this extreme path for retirement that I've been following is just that. Maybe it's extreme. And maybe most people are, if they're doing the average thing, are actually going to end up fine and have average results. And sure, they're not going to retire when they're 40 years old with $5 million, but they're probably going to have a couple million by the time they hit 60 or 65. And so I think it was just mostly in reaction to this 
this sense that to your point, so often, you know, the rhetoric is so extreme and it is so punitive. And like, if you're not saving like everything that you can, you are going to be working until you're 85. And I just, I think when you actually look at the compounding power of time and the the time power of money, time value of money, um, that time does a lot of heavy lifting for you. So I don't Mm -hmm. think you have to be as extreme as maybe some of the rhetoric, rhetoric would make you think you do, even though I do tend to lean into it. Cause I, I like to, I'm like, I would rather we be conservative and like, let's all end up really okay. than like just barely, you know, sliding into home with enough. So I think it's a balance. Well, I want to get into later your own approach to money management, because I was sure. snooping on your Instagram <laughs> feed and I saw, and you posted it. So it wasn't like I had to do a lot of digging, <laughs> but it was like how much you spent in one particular month yeah. against what you were earning. And I thought, oh my goodness, um, that's uh, remarkable. And so I'm going to get into that in a little bit with you, if, if, if we may. Yeah. But just to stick with this um, retirement equation, this math that you were doing for a couple of your mm-hmm. um, friends on your podcast, realizing, hey, you know, you're going to actually be okay. Were you considering things like longevity, the fact that we're living longer, the fact that Medicare, you know, doesn't kick in until 65 and even then it's not that great mm-hmm. if you need serious uh, medical attention, if you need nursing care. Um, so, you know, we say like it's just a, a quarter of a million dollars alone out of pocket to support on average mm-hmm. our medical mm-hmm. needs and retirement. Yeah. So were you, I assume you took into those variables as well. Yeah, we usually, so what I like to do to account for some of that stuff is a pad the spending. So if they tell me, Oh, I'm spending $3,500 a month. I'm like, all right, well let's round up to 4,000 and let's expect that. And let's also expect that your spending is going to go up by 4% every year. Oh, and let's also expect that the, you know, rate of return you're going to get in the market is only seven or 8%. So your real rate of return after you account for, inflation is going to be closer to three or 4%. So I think I'm not entirely confident in predicting every person's healthcare expenses or their long-term care expenses or things that are going to come up when you're older and, you know, prior to social security as well. And, you know, even let's expect that there's no social security and maybe you really are going to be completely on your own. So in my projections, I like to paint a very very conservative picture as opposed to let's expect that your expenses are going to stay exactly the same or go down. And let's expect that you're going to get 10% every year. It's like, no, you don't want to bank bank on the best case scenario. So that's typically how I like to do it just to give that that level of padding where even if we get pretty below average returns and your spending goes up, a few percentage points every year, this is still the time frame that you're looking at. And so it, it's kind of interesting when you when you manipulate those factors just a little bit, but then extrapolate over a long period of time, if things change pretty dramatically. Um, but I, again, I'm, I'm pretty risk averse and I'm pretty neurotic. So I usually like to like to expect the worst and then hope for the best. Well, let's dig into that neuroticism, um, <laughs> neurosis. Like therapy. <laughs> what is the, what is the noun? Uh, yeah, neuroses. Yeah, neuroses. You in February, for example, wrote how you spent a little over seven thousand dollars. You and your partner, and that was covering, you know, obviously housing and food, yeah. and car, and probably some medical. And you traveled a little bit too, mm-hmm. and that 
is a whopping 16% of your net income, um, which I did the math. It's like over half a million dollars a year. So how are you doing that? So how are we earning that much or how are so we- How are you only spending 16% oh, okay. when yes. that's like just what we spend on like food and car. <laughs> totally. So, okay. I, I definitely want to acknowledge that like this, it is extreme for sure. And it is even- What are you eating? <laughs> Even nominally, though, seven thousand or seven to eight thousand a month for two people—that's a lot of money. Like we're we are definitely not like scrimping or being frugal by any means. So to kind of break that down further, we rent a three-bedroom home in a high, like kind of high cost of living city in in northern Colorado. Uh, it's $3,000 a month for rent, which is high. And that was tough to swallow last year when we signed the lease. And then again, this year when we re-signed it, but um, we do choose to rent. We like the convenience. We also move every two years for the military and in places like this, where it actually does end up being net cheaper to rent than buy. It just makes sense for us. Um, and then we spent probably another 2000 on food. So like a thousand bucks a person between groceries and restaurants. And we hire a local chef. It's a female owned local business where they will prepare meals for you and then drop them off on Monday. So we also like to do that kind of both to support the local business, but then also because it makes the grocery shopping and the cooking way easier for the week. Um, so there's 5,000 there. And then the other 2000, yeah, travel, some medical expenses. Um, my husband, we have one paid off car. We're a one car family, but it's a 2008 SUV. So it eats gas and we all know how that's been lately. But you know, I think the internal conflict I feel about spending that much is twofold because yes, it's not a lot when you compare it to our overall net income, but it is a lot in general. And when you think about expanding your lifestyle to the point that you require seven or $8,000 a month for two people, well, now your net worth requirement to be able to support that type of lifestyle indefinitely is going up. I think it's around 2.2 million or 2.3 million that you would need invested to be able to spin off seven or 8,000 a month reliably. So I'm always very aware of like, yes, we have good money coming in right now. We're high earners right now, but we won't always be. We're, you know, one job loss away or, um, you know, one unexpected child away from potentially interrupting and disrupting that income. And so I'm always very cognizant of like, I don't even want to live close to the top of our potential means because I know that nothing is guaranteed and that money might not be there tomorrow. You just never know what's going to happen as the pandemic showed us. I think it was a bit of a wake up call. So that's kind of how I think about it. And I would like to get that number lower. Frankly, I would like to spend less wow. than we do. So what is, what is grounding you? What is the anchor for this approach to your lifestyle? Like mm -hmm. what do you want to be work optional by a certain age and what's the end game? Yeah. So I think what grounds me is fear. If I'm being honest, like it is truly that neuroticism and that kind of like fear of insecurity, if you will. So kind of like we were mentioning before with like the Nordic theory of everything here in the United States, uh, you're one major medical emergency away from potentially bankrupting yourself. So that's kind of terrifying. And I think that that when you uh, when you're just aware of maybe how precarious 
things really can become and how quickly. Um, I think that always is, is kind of a grounding force for me and remembering that like, it, I sound like my grandma, but like, you don't want to get too big for your britches. You don't want to overshoot kind of and, and end up in a place where you're out over your skis. So I think from a goal standpoint, our goal is to be completely work optional, like could walk away from income producing work by the time we're 30. So that's like three years away for me and two years away for my husband. And I think it just comes down to providing ourselves that optionality. Like if I want to be a stay at home mom or he wants to be a stay at home dad, or for some reason, one of our parents gets sick and we want to move closer to be with them and be able to take care of like, there's just so many unknowns in life. And I think I anticipate that being in a position financially where we could leave work if we wanted to, for some period of time would give me a lot of comfort and security and confidence to make the decisions that I actually want to be making and not making decisions based on needing an income. I smiled when you said that fear is what anchors you. I am the same way. And I don't think that how we look at life is how everyone looks at life. I think that maybe, I mean, for me, I know it was because how I was raised. Mm -hmm. My parents scared the crap out of me. Same. And I think being a financial podcaster and writer, the underpinning of all of our questions, a degree of it is fear. Yeah. And so I, I I always say like, I'm, I work with fear every day. And Mm -hmm. so I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of fear. I'm not fearless. I'm just not afraid of fear. Mm -hmm. Um, how did you arrive at this place where you had this intelligence and this healthy relationship with fear? Because I, I would say it's healthy. You're looking, I mean, a lot of people mm. could be scared and and would instead live, like someone could be just as worried about the uncertainties of life as you've just beautifully described, you know, <laughs> like the, the fears that are real yeah. sometimes. And it would turn them into absolute frugal monsters because their fear led them to like a dark place. Hmm. But for you, your fear has almost led you to this place of, I think really, uh, I mean, your wallpaper is beautiful right behind you. <laughs> Target thirty four ninety nine. You know, I don't want to assume, but like, it looks like life is treating you well. So tell oh, me like- you. Yeah. Tell me what drove you to having this long story, long question short. How did you get to have this like kind of healthy relationship with fear? That is such a a beautiful question. And I really appreciate you saying that. I think because at first my reaction was the overcorrection to become super frugal, like not going out to restaurants ever and trying to like nickel and dime myself at the grocery store and you know, living with roommates and buildings that weren't very nice. Like, I think my first reaction kind of was to cut back as much as possible. But then I think what really shifted for me, if I'm being honest, is I started to do work that I felt very aligned to and noticed that money really did come way more easily. So like prior, I would be working really hard in a job that maybe wasn't as wasn't as fulfilling or wasn't as didn't come as natural to me. It was something that I had to work a little bit harder at, think a little bit harder, strive a little bit more. And it wasn't necessarily in alignment with what I think I was like put not to be super woo woo, but like put here to do. And so I think when I noticed like, Oh, well, in order to earn money, I need to be struggling. Like I have to feel this level of struggle. I think when, when that 
kind of perception shifted of like, oh, well, when I'm doing the work that I'm in alignment with and I'm doing the things that are like super flow state for me, the money just comes and it comes way more easily and there's way more of it. That was a key shift. And in the beginning, I kind of struggled with it because I was like, man, I, um, I feel like I'm not working hard enough to be earning this much. Like, I feel like I'm not struggling enough to be earning as much as I mm-hmm. am. I think uh, once I got over that and kind of realized, no, 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 that's how it's supposed to feel. Like if it feels easy and good, it's like you're going to be able to do way more. You're going to be able to do your best work. Um, That's when you're really going to shine. And that's when the money is going to be the easiest to, you know, to come by. So I think that was probably the the shift um, that that kind of helped me rewire my relationship with this kind of uh, fear based or like neurotic approach to life of like, let me just steal myself and insulate myself from all the potential bad things that can happen to me by like building up this fortress of, of investment accounts around me. Uh, but I think I think that was probably where the shift happened. That's such a great story and uh, shows you have a lot of self-awareness, which is a big part of this. It's such a big part of being able to make healthy financial decisions. You use the word alignment, you use the word flow and I'm not woo-woo either, but I... I'm a little (laughs) (laughs) woo-woo. Just a little bit. (laughs) I totally appreciated that. So now tell me, Katie, what's on the horizon for you? What is your North Star professionally? You've got this great podcast, this partnership with Morning Brew. You have an incredible, I think you have courses, right? You're you're doing a lot of cool stuff. We're launching a few soon. Yeah. Some live ones. Man, North Star is such a good question. I, uh, I think about this a lot and I'm not sure that I really know for sure yet. Like, I don't know what the North Star is. I think for me, what would make me really happy and really proud would be building up this community to the point where it feels like it's kind of a no brainer for people. I don't know if this makes sense, but right now it kind of feels like when people want to learn about money, like the first person they think of is Dave Ramsey. And he also has very specific viewpoints and very strong opinions. And to your point, I think in order to kind of make it as a content creator, you have to have strong opinions. Cause I heard this quote the other day. It's like some people like hot tea and some people like cold tea, but nobody likes warm tea. It's like, you kind of have to like come out the gate strong. Commit. Commit to bring it back to Miss Jenner. Yes. Yes. To bring it back to my girl, KJ, you got to commit to something. So anyway, but I think that for me, what would really just be amazing is feeling like I get to the point where a young woman somewhere in the world, you know, gets her first job and she's like, all right, time to start listening to money with Katie. Like I want to be that kind of, um, feel like I'm having that much of an impact and, I, I think we're we're making a lot of progress for sure. And it's been really, really cool. There's, I mean, I'm sure you relate to this. There's nothing more rewarding than hearing from somebody that like, oh, you inspired me to go negotiate a raise at work. Or like I started tracking my net worth last year because of you. And now I have a hundred thousand. I mean, like you, it's just unfathomable almost like how meaningful that type of stuff is to hear. So I think continuing to feel like we're having an impact and we're, we're, kind of rewiring the way that women think about money and that young women and young people in general are like getting themselves set up in those early years when it's so impactful, um, that, that would just be so, so amazing to see. 
Well, we look forward to following you, continuing to follow you, and um, we'll have you back anytime. Katie Gaddy, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Farnoosh. And you got to come on my show. I'm going to... I'm going to put I will, you know, I'm, right now I notes because I was sort of interviewing you for my book. I have notes oh. here. I'm writing about fear, Katie, and how you you're like superpower. Yeah. And it's coming out next year. So I'll, 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 I'd love to come on your show yes. and I would love to come on when that is ready. Wow. And yes, talk about this do. conversation that we had and how you have inspired pages in the book because oh my of your... Gosh amazing relationship with fear. So thanks. This is just a compliment <laughs> fest. Thank you. Wow. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Congratulations. Coming soon. Thanks so much to Katie Gaddy for joining us. Check out her newsletter and podcast. The links are in our show notes and in our podcast notes. Thanks so much for tuning in everybody. I'll see you back here on Wednesday. I hope your day is so money. Money.